Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. It's time for From the Short Grass with Trey Schaap, a golf podcast for those who love golf, struggle with golf, and just like to enjoy the outdoors and fellowship with friends, all while chasing a ball around trying to put it in a four and a quarter inch diameter hole. From the Short Grass is brought to you by Blackman Auctions. For over 80 years, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. By MinnowsPlus.com. From baits to waiters, if it helps you catch a fish, they have it. And now, from the Short Grass, here is your host, Trey Shap. Welcome to another edition of From the Short Grass. I am your host, Trey Shap. Congratulations to the Arkansas Amateurs as they kept the Randy Beaver Cup after defeating the Arkansas Professionals 21.5 points to 10.5 points at Hot Springs Country Club. As Barry Howard told me for episode 18 of From the Short Grass, quote, the professionals are some really good teachers. Coming up on this edition of From the Short Grass, I sit down with Bill McAtee. Bill called his final Masters tournament from the 14th Tower last November when Dustin Johnson won his first green jacket. Bill looks back on a stellar broadcasting career and tells me his favorite moment at Augusta. Minnows Plus has the complete line of Frog Togs outerwear. You can shop online right now at MinnowsPlus.com. We're back after this. This is Thomas Blackman of Blackman Auctions. Trey asked me to sponsor a show for another few months. Even though I don't like golf, I do like his show. I have no idea how he gets the awesome variety of guests on his show, but it is entertaining and informative even for a horrible golfer like myself. I'm learning a lot about the game and about the passion for playing. So much so, I've started using my country club for more than Sunday brunch. Trey makes golf interesting. I make auctions interesting. For auctions, listen to me. For golf, listen to Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman Auctions. Minnows Plus is your local source for live bait and live well supplies. They carry the entire line of SureLife products, everything from better bait and finer shiner to no ammonia products to keep your bait and your catch thriving till you get back to the dock. They are the best source for all your private land ponds. Minnows Plus has fish food and pond fertilizer to keep your pond healthy and thriving all year long. If you own or run a bait and tackle shop and need to resupply, contact Minnows Plus and ask about their wholesale prices. Open to the public and walk-ins are welcome. Find them on the web at MinnowsPlus.com. Welcome back to From the Short Grass. Now on the tee, Bill McAtee. When did you start playing golf? When did you first pick up a golf club? I was a little kid. My, my father, um, who would always say I'm the real Bill McAtee, uh, and my grandfather were avid golfers, both single-digit handicaps. And uh, I, I just loved the game. And I loved being around my dad and being able to do that with him. But he would drop me off. My dad was in the military, so he would drop me off at the base golf course in the summers in the morning on his way to work, and I'd spend all day there. He was a member of the Army-Navy Club in, in Virginia as well, so that was when I was in fifth, sixth, and part of seventh grade. And so those were my summers. And I can't even think of anything more idyllic than that, being able to be at the golf club with your little friends, playing golf, and um, you know, all the going to the pool, all, all those kinds of things. And that really, uh, I loved the game from a very early age. I remember watching Arnold Palmer and the Masters in, in what we call vivid black and white 
because you could only imagine what the colors were like mm-hmm. back then. But I, I loved uh, Arnie and didn't really much care for anybody who was competing against him and took it personally when he lost. And But he was one of my heroes. And so later in life, when I was in Butler Cabin covering the Masters, I got the chance to say goodbye to Arnie after his uh, final Masters. And he, he did not make the cut, so he came in on Friday. And Peter Costas and I were in there. And so Lance Barrow, the producer at the time for CBS Sports, said to me in the headset, here's, here's the great man's day. And I didn't know what was coming and saw this amazing kind of, you know, video of, of all these people just thanking him and him interacting with the crowd and hitting the occasional golf shot, which really at that point didn't matter that much. It was just that you were seeing this legendary man and I was talking about it and kind of trying to frame what this moment meant to people like me and my generation, you know, what, what, what he brought to our lives. And then I looked to my left and he had come in and was sitting down beside me and he had tears in his eyes listening to this. And so that moment was so powerful for me. I don't, I don't think I'll ever have anything that will reach that level ever again. He was, uh, he was a great man and that, you know, to be able to translate my childhood to a, my, my career was really kind of neat. I was going to say, when did you first decide that, okay, I, I want to go into broadcasting and make a career out of it and be afforded the opportunities that you were with CBS? Well, I decided pretty early on. I, I wanted to be an athlete like most you know, sure. young guys, and it became apparent to me in high school that while I was good enough to start for our team, I wasn't good enough to play at any level that would be meaningful in college. So uh, I walked on to uh, – to Texas State, now Texas State, then Southwest Texas State. I played football for about 10 minutes. I'd never seen that many guys that big and that fast in my life. So there were a lot of little radio stations around San Marcos, and I decided I'm going to go to work for some of these radio stations. And so I got a job at a country western station, a beautiful music station. Eventually, I got a job doing uh, weekend sports for a TV station in Austin. And then uh, got a full-time job in Beaumont, finished my degree at Lamar University, went to Kansas City for a year, back to Dallas for three years, and then on to, uh, to NBC when I was uh, 26 years old in 1982. And so I had a, you know, kind of a compacted early part of my career, Yeah. but it was a lot of fun because in Beaumont, for instance, we would drive around in the news cars, which were purple gremlins. <laughs> if you can remember those cars with a big 12 on the side. Of yeah. it. And I was so proud to be driving that thing to yeah. the game, you know, waving to people. Everybody knew who you were. Oh, yeah. You, you could not hide <laughs> in those cars. So, but, and I, you know, I learned how to, how to process film and edit film, the physical editing of film. That was before videotape came along for the, for the mobile unit, you know, to be able to go out and mm-hmm. shoot on location. And then I learned how to edit that. I learned lighting and audio and all those things were great because I understood later on when I was, uh, you know, at the network level and everybody was doing those things, I could really appreciate what the, what the audio guy was trying to accomplish and what the lighting guy was doing and, and that kind of thing. So it was really a wonderful education for me. And you did everything, right? So you were writing your stories, your voice. So I think that foundation really helped me as I, as I went along with my network career. And you have worked Olympics. Um, you've done tennis. but Did a lot of tennis, yes. But, but golf. Is that the pinnacle for you? For me, yeah, because I, you know, I watched the Masters as a kid with my dad and my grandfather and, you know, it was that vivid black and white and, and um, 
you know, it, it, it was it, some of the best memories of my childhood are doing that with them. And then later, uh, my grandfather had passed away, but I got to take my dad multiple times to the Masters. I got to take him to play a couple of times. Some members were kind enough to invite us to, to join them. And so for a, for a son to be able to give that to a dad is, uh, is pretty special. Your first time at Augusta, do you remember that year and that tournament? I was there for USA Network. And I was not really, you know, I wasn't a veteran. I, this was my first year of doing golf. And this may have been the second or third event that I did. And all of a sudden, I'm in Butler Cabin. Now, in those early years, there were two CBS people as well as Peter Costas and myself. And so there were four of us in there and in Butler Cabin. And we didn't do a whole lot because I think there was a little bit of, let's let's see what these guys can do before we let them do this alone. And uh, and I remember for me, it was at Firestone, and it was at the end of the season, and Frank Cherkinian said, I'm going to have you call the, I think it was the 16th hole. And I was like, because he had never, I all I had done at that point was bring us in and out of commercial and read promos mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I sat there and I watched Pat and Kenny and listened to the ensemble at CBS, which is so amazing. And I learned so much. I mean, it was a master class in broadcasting and specifically golf broadcasting. You know, there were, there were things that Frank, you know, don't call a shot in the air and stuff like that, that I, that I still, you know, all throughout my career, I heard his voice in the back of my head. And then Lance Barrow, obviously who took over for Frank was, was great as well. And it was, you know, I can't, couldn't have asked for a better experience to, to kind of transition into golf and then uh, throughout my career as the, some of the people changed, but to be able to go do the Masters, the PGA Championship, the events that I did throughout the year, just wonderful. And you get to fill in for Jim Nance during the PGA Tour coverage when he would take an occasional Sunday or weekend off because it was a full weekend. But what was that like? sitting in the main chair then <laughs> well big shoes and jim as is is as generous a person as you could imagine and he would always text me after the broadcast to say something nice and you know but i was aware that you know cbs golf coverage is very special and i'm getting to sit in the driver's seat in that in that role and i don't want to crash the ferrari you know i just want to keep it on the road <laughs> And, uh, and, and again, the, the folks, the team around, and this is not just the announcers, but this is the entire production team. These folks are the best at what they do in the business. And so when you've got that kind of team around you, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to mess that up. So I, I was always well taken care of. Augusta and the Masters and what it means and the evolution of the broadcasting and televising of that tournament to now where – you get online, you can follow a group from the first tee shot to the last putt drops on 18. Did you ever think that would be possible? No, because when I first started doing it, and for a number of years after that, you, you, we didn't even show the front nine, the first nine. So that you know, I think the, the feeling at, in the origins of the club was that that first nine was for the written press, and they could really own that, and, and for TV and – you know, when the Masters was first on TV, it wasn't the entire second nine. That happened gradually as well. Um, but uh, I, I think that, you know, that, the, that event is so unique because people who'd never watch golf will watch the Masters. Mm-hmm. And for people who are golfers, it's the, the really almost official, I'm going to say unofficial, but in many ways it's the official start of the golf season. 
I think some friends at, at Callaway told me that the day after the the Monday after the Masters is the the best selling day for golf clubs. Sure, a, a, of the year, and so um, I think there's just so much that's represented there, from the history of the event to the the, the people that that you, you meet, uh, the players that you meet along the way. That that it, it's just I don't know. It's it's hard to capture how much it means and the quiet evolution. You know, to your point about now all the different platforms that it's on, but it is still it still has the integrity of the Masters. And even though like when when I was first doing it, you had to meet the chairman. There was a whole process because it was we were the ones presenting it to the world. You know, there's always been a sense when you're there that this is just not a normal telecast. And you are fortunate enough to be part of something special. When you first met Jack Stevens, what was that like? I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I was nervous. And he, he's kind of a shy guy. He had a wonderful um, sense of humor, too, which was, which was uh, on display during some of his, his chairman's uh, press conferences. But I was nervous. And, he, you know, he, he wanted to talk about the flowers. He said, what do you think about the flowers? And, and he really loved that part of, of the club. Mm-hmm. And so did I, actually. I, I loved it, too. And I think I introduced my, my father to him during one of the Masters, and he was very gracious. And, you know, he was just, he was just a special person, as is Warren. I mean, I think, the, the, as they say, the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Warren is a special person, too, giving back to the game of golf, doing all kinds of unsung things that people don't know about that are meaningful, hosting the drive, chip, and putt, for instance, all that they do for the first tee, creating the Elotion Club, which, you know, is this incredible stage for the Stevens Cup, and then creating the Jackson T. Stevens Cup, which is going to be, I think, foundational in the game of golf for, for generations. And so all of these things, you know, Jack did wonderful things for the game, and, and especially since he, you know, you consider that he took it up later in life, but, but Warren is, is right there as well. So the entire Stevens family has done amazing things for the game of golf. To be a member at at a lotion and to be able to you know sit with Warren and kind of come up with something that we think can be special for a long long time in the college game and to honor his father um, you don't get those kinds of experiences very often in life and so I cherish this one and always will this week what has it been like for you out here prior to this I really didn't follow college golf closely mm-hmm and what I realized as we started to kind of noodle the idea of, of doing the, the Stevens Cup is that there's a lot of opportunity here because they these are, in many ways, the stars of tomorrow on both tours. So, you know, you can do the Corn Ferry Tour or Secondary Tour for the LPGA Tour, but they're going to be uh, fragmented because it's not men and women. Here, because Warren really wanted to do this, to have the men and women playing in the same event on the same golf course. Now they play different tees, but the greens are the same. And the the women are not their events. They don't see these green speeds typically. The other part of it that I think is important are the additional special invitations that go out to the service academies to send a representative to compete, and also the HBCUs and the PGA Works uh, tournament, which uh, used to be called the Minority Golf Championship, and. And uh, the PGA of America took over and, and changed the name. But I think this notion of uh, letting people who folks that love the game but may not be able to participate in this level of competi- at this level of competition 
on courses like the Elotion Club and Seminole, where we'll be next year, and Trinity Forest the year after, I think it's really special. And, and the experiences of the players this week that we've talked to has borne that out. I mean, they've all said this is, you know, such an amazing week. We've I've never played a golf course like this. One young lady said it's the best golf experience of my life. And all of those things, you know, when you're sort of noodling it and you're thinking, well, I wonder if this will matter, to get it, it like gets you emotional. I was going to say it, it. It has to hit in the heart, doesn't it? It does, and I and I think that you know Warren's leadership and vision on this thing has been really cool because he wanted to do something honoring his dad, but giving back to the game that was really special. And I think look, you always want to get better, and I think we're going to have a, a meetings to this notion of continuous improvement. But I think we're off to a great start. And I think that the Stevens Cup is going to be uh, have a special place. We hope on the calendar for in college golf for the for the schools and the coaches. All right, let's go back to Augusta, Fourteenth Tower, best shot you've ever seen into fourteen. Well, Mickelson made eagle, and he had an amazing stretch. He went eagle. He almost did three straight eagles: eagle, eagle, and then he birdied fifteen. Mm-hmm. So that was probably uh, one of the best stretches of golf. 14 because it sits between two of the most famous par fives in golf on the second nine. And, uh, you know, there were times when the leaders would be teeing off and we'd be in one of those rare commercials because you got to get those in somewhere and 14 would be kind of a natural place. But a lot happens there because it's the largest green on the course. Back in the earlier days, the, the fairway was a little more sloped. And there wasn't the second cut, and so it would go right into the pine straw if it was too far to the right off the tee. And it's you know it's a dog leg right to left, so if you hang it out to the right, you'd be in trouble. And then there are trees, and there you can get even more trouble. Tiger made a couple of amazing birdies when he won from the woods to the left, from the trees to the left, that you can't even imagine he could do that. So... It's had some sort of unsung moments throughout its history, but I I loved being there and, you know, the only hole at Augusta National without a bunker and and all of that. And I used to tease, you want to get your chair there early because it's going to be packed. But it really, you know, it was a wonderful home for me for a long time. And then take me through, if you had your headset on, where were you when Vern Lundquist made his call at 16 when Tiger chipped in for birdie? Yeah, I was uh, I was right there, and it was uh, it was an amazing thing. I mean, that that call was you know obviously it's it's a Hall of Fame call, and there were a few of them. Peter Costas had a great one with Mickelson, which doesn't get nearly the attention, but Mickelson from the Pine Straw when he won at thirteen, and, mm-hmm. and Peter called in the moment. He said, "One of the greatest shots I've ever seen," and of course history has validated that. So you there, you just never know when it's going to come. You just want to be ready when it when it does. And unfortunately, the higher-ups at CBS, they tasked you with interviewing the runner-up. Well, no, that was – well, I would never say – that was fortunate because it was a role where uh, Peter Costas and I did that for 20 years. And if you talked to me on Saturday, that meant you had a chance to win the Masters. So that was good. Okay. But because they do the green jacket ceremony in Butler Cabin and Jim and the chairman – talk to the winner if you didn't win the masters you talk to me or peter and i would kind of it's not always the best time to get something from folks and they weren't always you know happy to be talking to you but they did it which you know that's really something that that they did that 
But I was talking to my dad uh, coming back from telecast on a on a Sunday, and I was complaining about something somebody was didn't, didn't wasn't nice to me or something on the air. <laughs> and my dad said, "Just remember that everybody you talk to today, in their mind, just lost the Masters, and the very fact that they're talking to you and they're lucid at all, I mean, given given everything that is on the line, is pretty remarkable. So it gave me a whole new perspective." And he was wonderful to do that because he was absolutely right. And there were times when I would talk to guys and I just knew they were never going to be in this position again. And they knew that. And you could just see it in their eyes. And there were, you didn't always see it on TV, but there were a lot of tears. And you just, you felt for them. Because I was going to say, that had to was, be tough. This was their moment. And yeah. I, you never wanted to be harsh. You know, I, I always wanted to say, you know, tell, I'd talk about some specific shots, but never in a way to make them feel bad because, God, they felt badly enough. And so sure. <clears throat> I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to be able to do my job, which was to talk to them about their feelings, what, what had just occurred. But, you know, it's very hard in the heat of battle or just after the heat of battle to have perspective. I used to do a series on the Today Show called After the Applause where I would interview people like Arnold Palmer and Mickey Mantle and Pete Maravich and others who had now had time to look back on their careers, then they had perspective. You don't have perspective 15 minutes after you're done. You're still in the moment. And so those interviews were hard. And I just, I wanted to make sure I was very respectful of what they had just gone through and their level of disappointment on, on Sundays. And hopefully I succeeded at that. You stepped away 30 years. You okay with that? Or do you wish you were still there? No, I'm good. I, I had been working with a, a private equity firm, an investment firm, for the last seven years of broadcasting, and I grad, gradually diminished kind of my broadcasting duties. So I did my 30th and final master's last November. It has been an app, was an absolute honor to be a part of those telecasts, to be a part of, of the master's, any level, and um, it gave me an amazing life. But I, I was ready to find some different challenges. And so I like my life and I still have a lot of friends that I met through those experiences and uh, get a chance to go back and visit Augusta National every now and then, which is which is fun. And, you know, there's something to be said for a graceful dismount and understanding where your windows are. And I just felt like for me, because I started so young, I was on TV starting at the age of 19, that at the age of uh, 64, um, that that was probably a good time to to say thank you and and to leave. Your favorite memory at Augusta? Well, the Arnold Palmer one is is the one on the air, but the other one is playing um, with my dad. I have a picture of him hitting his second shot at eleven. He was a lefty. That's a huge picture, and he had it in in his house, and it was in a hallway where he could see it all the time. And so I have that in, in my house now. Because uh, because I want to look at it, too. That's awesome. Mr. McAtee, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Trey. Really enjoyed it. This is Thomas Blackman of Blackman Auctions. Trey asked me to sponsor a show for another few months. Even though I don't like golf, I do like his show. I have no idea how he gets the awesome variety of guests on his show, but it is entertaining and informative even for a horrible golfer like myself. I'm learning a lot about the game and about the passion for playing. So much so, I've started using my country club for more than Sunday brunch. Trey makes golf interesting. I make auctions interesting. For auctions, listen to me. For golf, listen to Trey. Since 1938, better auctions are Blackman auctions. 
Minnows Plus is your local source for live bait and live well supplies. They carry the entire line of SureLife products, everything from better bait and finer shiner to no ammonia products to keep your bait and your catch thriving till you get back to the dock. They are the best source for all your private land ponds. Minnows Plus has fish food and pond fertilizer to keep your pond healthy and thriving all year long. If you own or run a bait and tackle shop and need to resupply, contact Minnows Plus and ask about their wholesale prices. Open to the public and walk-ins are welcome. Find them on the web at minnowsplus.com. Welcome back to From the Short Grass. Since 1938, better auctions have always been Blackman Auctions. If you like auctions and finding that one special item, you need to check out BlackmanAuctions.com. Now on the tee with our weekly rules segment, here is Master Professional Adam Carney. Adam, this question comes in uh, to From the Short Grass at gmail.com from Brian in Conway. He says, what happens when a competitor accidentally runs over a golf ball with his cart? So I've actually had this one before. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was one of those where the player wanted to blame me, but he actually ran over his own golf ball. Um, he'd hit it. It was in um, Springfield, Missouri at Highland Springs. I think it was a Monday qualifier for the Corn Ferry Tour event that was there. He ran over... His own golf ball left side of number 10. Rough was pretty thick. The ball was on a bit of an upslope. And so, long story short, I, I get called in for an embedded ball rule. And the two players he was playing with said, hey, may I, maybe it's actually embedded, but uh, he ran over it with the golf cart. That's what happened. And he was adamant that he hadn't done that. And of course, obviously, I'm looking at the tire tracks going. You can see the tire tracks right there. Yeah, yeah and there were a lot of tire tracks in the area, and to be fair – but I could see the position of his golf cart, (laughs) (laughs) the tire tracks. And I mean, it's a bit of a judgment call, but I also had the testimony of his fellow competitors to say, look, you know, we were right here just next to him. He drove right up this little hill. Of course, the players claiming no, 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 the ball got embedded. I mean, it hadn't rained in forever. It was in pretty thick rough. So the first thing I did under the circumstances was say, hey, look, let's, let's see if it's actually embedded. And it's one of those situations where, nope, there's grass between the ball and dirt, so it's not embedded, but it is deep down in there. Um, you know, the grass had broken the ground probably. So he had, in essence, caused his ball to move and at the same time altered his lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you cause your ball to move, you're going to get a one-stroke penalty. And then, obviously, he's altered the lie. The ball is definitely embedded into the, in, to the ground at this point by running it over. Um, so he is entitled to recreate the lie as near as possible. And this is, again, another change in 19. Um, it used to pl- be, I think the rule used to say specifically, place it in the nearest most similar lie. Now you basically have to place it in the nearest, in the most similar lie, but you have one club length. Um, from the point where immediately behind as a point of reference from where the ball, the lie was altered Mm -hmm. and have to replace it. Yeah, he was, he was adamant that his ball had embedded as a result of the shot, but it was pretty clear he'd run over it. But if this is a competitor that does it and not the player. Okay. So then the lie altered situation comes into play and the player is not responsible because he didn't cause his ball to move. So he gets to recreate the lie that his ball had. Yeah, He's entitled to the lie that he had because he didn't cause it to move. But what if it's match play? That's where I was going to go next. (laughs) I knew you were. It's a one stroke. It's one stroke. Yeah. So um, the rules, uh, if I, 
touch my opponent's ball or cause my opponent's ball to move other than during search for the opponent's ball. Um, I'm going to incur a penalty of one stroke. And same situation applies. Obviously, we have that caveat of other than during search because if that were the case and I'm playing you in match play and we're looking for your ball, I'm not going to help. Uh, just on the off chance. Well, I know you're going to be over there drinking a beer, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe a diet coke for me. But yeah, it's going to be. I'm not going to take a chance of causing your ball to move and being penalized here. So, uh, match play is again a different animal, and that's that's you know uh, where you're going to start to see some penalties that don't occur in stroke play. So, yeah, it, it's 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 one of those things that used to be rule 18 a it was like the one rule we all knew mm-hmm. by number that's the first rule i ever learned back when the numbers those were the numbers you know ball at rest moved by player partner caddy or equipment hey you cause it to move you replace it it's one stroke if you don't replace it it's two general penalty under 18 now new subset new rules rule numbering and the rule stays the same but uh maybe may the altered lie positioning and placing the ball mm-hmm. is a little bit different He's Adam Carney. I am Trey Schaap. If you have a question on the rules of golf, just like Brian in Conway did there, email us at fromtheshortgrass at gmail.com, and hopefully the guys you're playing with won't run over your golf ball on the course. That will do it for this edition of From the Short Grass. I leave you with this golf quote. Life is not fair, so why should I make a course that is fair? That from legendary course architect Pete Dye. I hope you enjoy your next round on the course, and when you find your ball mark on the green, fix it and a couple of more, and I will see you from the short grass. You've been listening to From the Short Grass, a weekly podcast dedicated to the game of golf. From the Short Grass is brought to you by MinnowsPlus.com and Blackman Auctions. This has been a presentation of the Buzz Radio Network.